Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of our World News Podcast. This podcast, along with all of our other news episodes, are part of Atlas News. Check out the Lethal Minds Journal, a veteran and active duty publication focusing on foreign and military affairs, art and culture. Take a look at the journal's Bulletin from the Borderlands, a bi-weekly foreign affairs publication for multiple talented intelligence analysts and independent journalists. Head over to lethalmindsjournal.substack.com or Instagram at lethal.minds dot journal to see more please consider supporting us on patreon patreon.com slash analyze educate ko-fi ko-fi.com slash analyze educate or analyze educate.substack.com so since this is a part of atlas news if you are listening to this on the atlas news app you listen a day before everybody else if you're listening to this on my feed you're listening a day after it gets released on atlas news With that being said, we'll head into the episode. Okay, we are going to start off here with the Americas, looking at the United States, got a presidential race update. These are poll averages from 538. Biden's approval is at 39. That is up one point from last week, and his disapproval is at 56%. That remains the same. Looking at Trump's favorability, He is at 43%. That is up one point from last week. His unfavorability is at 52%. That remains the same. Looking at the Democratic primary, Biden is at 75%. Congressman Dean Phillips is at 7%. Biden is up four points and Phillips is up three. Looking at the National Republican primary, Trump is at 76%. He is the same from last week, and Nikki Haley is at 16%. She is down two points. And then looking at the Republican primary in South Carolina, Trump is at 63%. He is down two points. Nikki Haley is at 31%. She is down one point. Got some layoffs here. Silicon Valley tech giant Cisco Systems announced their first round of layoffs this year. They announced that this past week. Around 5% of the global workforce, or about 4,250 employees will be cut. At least 3,000 of those jobs are located in the U.S. Cisco also made multiple rounds of layoffs last year as well. Other tech companies that have laid off employees in the past week include Fantech with 25% of its force, Code C with 100% of its force, Instacart with 7% of its force, and others. So far this year, 157 tech companies have laid off 40,000 workers, according to layoffs.fyi. January of this year saw the most tech layoffs for a single month since March of last year. The industry seeing the most cuts this year is retail, with consumer companies being in second place. Moving on, Texas is dedicating more resources to Operation Lone Star. That is the Texas Military Department and Department of Public Safety-led mission to stem the flow of people illegally crossing the Texas-Mexico border. On Friday, Governor Greg Abbott announced that the Texas National Guard will be building a Ford operating base near Eagle Pass, which has been one of the busiest spots in Texas in terms of border activity between ports of entry. The company Team Housing Solutions was awarded a $131 million contract to build the Ford Operating Base Eagle Base Camp with a completion date of September 7th this year. Plans for the new FOB have been compared to existing smaller bases along the border in Laredo and Del Rio, just larger in scale at 80 acres. The camp will have modular buildings, trailers, tents, 
a dining facility, a fitness facility, recreation and laundry facilities, Wi-Fi and medical care. Abbott says that in the long run, this will save Texas money as soldiers have been housed in less accommodating quarters, hotels, and sometimes even making long commutes to work. The base will also house National Guardsmen from other states that support Operation Lone Star. The FOB will be built just six miles from Shelby Park. That is a city-owned park in Eagle Pass that was recently seized by Texas authorities in order to keep federal authorities from picking up and processing illegal immigrants and also to keep those migrants from entering Texas. Abbott says that after state authorities took control of the park, daily crossings dropped to 1% of what they were when federal agents were able to operate freely in Shelby Park. At that point, daily crossings in the park alone were anywhere from 3,000 to 5,000 a day. Independent observers also report a noticeable decline in activity in the area. FOB Eagle Base Camp is expected to have 300 beds by mid-April and will continue to add another 300 beds every 30 days from that point on. It is expected to eventually have the capacity to house 2,300 soldiers. And then lastly, for the region, Bolton from the Borderlands released on the 15th. We discussed the recruiting and manpower crisis in the U.S. military, so take a look at that. If you feel so inclined, we will take a quick break and we'll be right back with Central Asia and the Middle East. Okay, we are back looking at the Israel-Hamas war. We got reported casualties for Gaza. We are looking at 28,858 killed, 68,667 injured. For Israel, we have 1,457 killed, 10,580 injured. For the Gaza operation specifically, that is included in the Israel total. You have 234 killed in action and 1,361 wounded. In the West Bank, you have 394 killed, 4,450 injured. For Lebanon, you have 260 killed. For Syria, you have 124 killed. And for Egypt, you have nine injured. That gives us a total of 31,093 people killed, 83,706 reported injured. According to the Committee to Protect Journalists, the number of journalists and media workers that have been killed in this war is 88. The vast majority of those were Palestinians that have been killed in Gaza. That number is 83. Additionally, two Israelis and three Lebanese journalists have been killed as well. And then additionally, 16 journalists have been injured, four are missing, and 25 have been arrested. Clearance operations continue to the east of Khan Yunus. That's the second largest city in Gaza. That is in the south. And then the IDF is also strengthening its positions near the southern city of Rafah in preparation for an upcoming operation in that city that is just along the border with Egypt, which is causing some tension between those two states. Border clashes between Israel and Lebanese Hezbollah have continued. Not a whole lot to note on that front. Over 130 other hostages are still being held inside Gaza. However, Israel believes that around 30 of those hostages have died since being taken captive. Really no way to verify that 100%. On Monday morning, a joint operation between the IDF, Shin Bet, which is Israel's intelligence service, and the Yemen Police Counterterrorism Unit saw the rescue of two Israeli hostages from the Gazan city of Rafah. The two men, who are both Argentine Israelis, are said to be in good condition 
They are Norberto Luis Har, who is 70, and Fernando Simon Maran, who is 60. Yemen operators killed three Hamas fighters that were guarding the apartment that they were being kept hostage in. The operation came as Israel launched numerous airstrikes targeting the city of Rafah, which were likely used as a distraction for the operation. Those strikes killed 67 Palestinians, according to the Hamas-run Gaza Health Ministry. Rafah has routinely been touted as a safe zone for Gazans by the Israeli government since the war began. The city is currently holding over half of Gaza's population, over 1.4 million people. It's a very small area for all those people to be in. And given that fact, it is reasonable to assume that those airstrikes did kill dozens of civilians. Moving on, since October 17th, there have been at least 160 drone and rocket attacks on U.S. troops in Iraq and Syria. The Pentagon has confirmed 146 casualties so far. That includes three who have been killed in action, two very serious wounded, nine seriously wounded, and 132 non-serious wounded. The U.S. military has launched nine response strikes since those attacks began. And noticeably, there has not been a single attack on U.S. troops since February 4th, the day after the massive round of American airstrikes in Iraq and Syria. So that is some good news for once. Hopefully that trend continues. Moving on, the Yemen-based Houthi rebels have continued their activity in the region. There have been at least 52 attacks or attempted attacks against commercial shipping and allied naval assets in the area since October 19th. U.S., U.K., and French forces have intercepted or otherwise struck 12 anti-ship ballistic missiles, four anti-ship cruise missiles, six land attack cruise missiles, and then a bunch of launch sites. You have 28 anti-ship ballistic missile sites, 20 anti-ship cruise missile sites, and two land attack cruise missile sites. Also, two radar sites, seven waterborne drones, three small boats, and 92 drones, that includes 14 on the ground, and then also one surface-to-air missile system. Those have all been destroyed. On Saturday the 10th, U.S. forces conducted strikes in al-Hudaydah, Yemen, destroying two Houthi unmanned surface vessels and three anti-ship cruise missiles. On Friday, the Houthis were redesignated as an international terrorist group, with the designation officially taking effect that day. They were taken off the list of terror groups in 2021 by the State Department on the order of President Biden. And then also Operation Espides, the European Union mission to deter piracy in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden is set to launch on Sunday. Thank you to John from the Fence Bulletin for his coverage on this mission. We now know that the command of the operation will be split between Greece and Italy. The force headquarters and force commander will come from Italy and the operational headquarters and operational commander will come from Greece. Also, it was recently revealed that the U.S. conducted a cyber attack against the MV Bashad in the region. That ship is officially registered as a cargo ship, but it is in fact an Iranian IRGC intelligence ship that has been suspected of providing targeting data for the Houthis for months. That ship has been operating close to a Chinese military base near the port of Djibouti since January. U.S. officials believe that the ship moved to that area in order to discourage U.S. forces from physically attacking the Bashad. The details of the cyber attack are not clear right now, but it was conducted to inhibit the ship's ability to communicate with the Houthis. We got a Naval Forces posture update in the region. Thank you to Intel Schizo on Twitter for his infographics. Really not much of an update from last week. 
The Israeli Navy has two corvettes near the Sinai Peninsula. Egypt has two warships off of its coast in the Red Sea. The Dwight D. Eisenhower Carrier Strike Group is in the Southern Red Sea. There are 10 ships in the Gulf of Aden under the framework of the Combined Maritime Forces. China has three ships in the Gulf of Aden. Iran has two ships in that area as well. Iran also has four ships off of its coast and two ships in the North Arabian Sea. India has three ships in the North Arabian Sea. The British Royal Navy has five ships near Bahrain. And the U.S. Navy and U.S. Coast Guard have 18 ships in the Persian Gulf and the Gulf of Oman. Moving on to Europe and Eurasia, looking at Russia on Friday. Pretty big story this week. Russian anti-corruption activist and main opposition leader Alexei Navalny reportedly died in a prison colony. Now, we cannot confirm 100% that Navalny is dead at this point as we have not seen a body, but we have every reason to believe that he is, in fact, dead. According to Russia's Federal Prison Service, Navalny felt, quote, unwell after a walk, almost immediately losing consciousness, end quote. State media Interfax said that medics from the, I'm going to butcher this, Labitnagi City Hospital arrived within seven minutes of his collapse and tried to revive him. The distance between that city and the prison is 35 kilometers or about 40 miles, which does raise some questions as to the legitimacy of that claim. Navalny was last seen in court in a hearing over video conference the day before his death, and he looked to be in good spirits and fully alert. His mother also saw him on February 12th and said that he was, quote, alive, healthy, and cheerful, and quote. He was serving multiple sentences at a prison colony north of the Arctic Circle. That colony is called the IK-3, nicknamed Polar Wolf, in the town of Karp in the Yamalo Nanets Autonomous Okrug. It is one of the northernmost prisons in the world and was built in 1961 as part of the Soviet Union's Gulag system. He was arrested in 2021 after returning to Russia from Germany. He was in Germany to recover from a near-fatal poisoning from the nerve agent Novichok. It was determined that the Russian government carried out that poisoning. He was sentenced to two and a half years after returning to Russia for violating the terms of a previous five-year suspended prison sentence. In March of 2022, he was sentenced to another nine years for embezzlement and contempt of court. And then in August of last year, he was sentenced to another 19 years in prison on extremism charges to be served concurrently with the other two sentences. After that sentence was passed down, he said that he understood he was, quote, serving a life sentence, which is measured by the length of my life or the length of this regime, end quote. Navalny's lawyer and mother arrived at the Salicard morgue on Saturday only to find that it was closed and that the body was not in the morgue. This is despite them being told by the prison colony that the morgue was open and the body was there. According to the Salicard investigative committee, the cause of death is still unknown. Russian President Vladimir Putin has been widely blamed for Navalny's death, including by President Joe Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, and Navalny's wife. Speaker of the lower house of Russia's parliament, the state Duma, Vyacheslav Volodin, said that, quote, Russia and Brussels are to blame for Navalny's death, end quote, referring to the European Union when he said Brussels. It is not 100% clear why Navalny died or who is responsible, but considering the fates that many who oppose Putin have found themselves in, and considering the fact that Navalny has been poisoned by a nerve agent used by Russian intelligence operatives in the past, 
it is easy to understand why so many people believe that Putin had Navalny killed. Navalny joins more than 20 other critics of President Putin that have been murdered or died under mysterious circumstances since he came to power in 1999. The Office of Russia's Prosecutor General warned people in Moscow not to attend pro-Navalny rallies in the city center. According to the Monitor Group OVD-Info, nearly 300 people in eight Russian cities have been arrested by Saturday morning for taking part in such rallies. Demonstrators have also gathered at Russian embassies around the world with protests in Czechia, Serbia, Armenia, Georgia, and England, to name a few. Moving on to the Russo-Ukrainian war at the Munich Security Conference yesterday, Czech President Peter Pavel said that his country has been able to secure artillery ammunition for Ukraine. This includes 500,000 rounds of 155 millimeter and 300,000 rounds of 122 millimeter shells both of which are desperately needed by Ukraine. At this point, Ukraine is running so low on ammo that they are firing no more than 2,000 rounds a day, which is a third of what the Russians are firing right now. They're firing 6,000. Earlier this month, Politico claimed that the Czech Republic was looking into ammunition suppliers in South Korea, South Africa, and Turkey. Pavel did not reveal where he was able to source his ammunition from, but said that deliveries to Ukraine can begin in a matter of weeks as long as he can secure international funding to cover the cost of delivery. And then last story of the week, Ukrainian forces have withdrawn from the former strongpoint town of Avdivka in Donetsk Oblast. Early fighting for the town began just before the official launch of the Russian invasion. Combat in surrounding areas continued until October of last year when the Russians began mechanized assaults on the town. The evacuation was ordered by the newly promoted Commander-in-Chief General Alexander Sersky in order to avoid an encirclement. Russian forces have made serious gains in and around the town in the days leading up to its capture. Ukrainian units inside the town were at serious risk of being surrounded by a Russian advance coming down from the northeast. At this point in the war, Ukraine cannot afford to have any of its units surrounded. Manpower shortages are too critical and a loss of an infantry unit could do serious damage to the war effort. Additionally, artillery shell shortages provide another reason why Ukraine had to cut its losses, kind of like what I spoke about a couple minutes ago. Even though an evacuation should have been ordered earlier, better late than never, I guess, some Ukrainian troops were still captured or killed after the withdrawal order, although the rough number is unknown. We've even seen some postings to social media uh, showing Ukrainian soldiers that were executed after being taken prisoner, some of which in those posts can be seen with their hands and feet bound. And then also uh, Ukrainian soldiers that just evacuated from the town have confirmed that they recognize the identity of some of these soldiers that have been executed. So uh, unfortunately, not particularly surprising that that has happened. But um, yeah, just uh, horrible horrible situation. Um, Russian forces have placed their flag at multiple points in and around the city, marking its full capture. The fall of Avdivka is the first major Russian capture since Bakhmut in last May. Now, the main concerns are how many troops Ukraine lost in the withdrawal. Again, we know some were lost. We just don't know exactly how many and how built up the next defensive line is Recently, pro-Ukrainian sources have cited the lack of a well-prepared defense outside of the town, 
although videos recently posted to social media show preparations being made before the evacuation was ordered. It just isn't clear to what extent the defense had been built up. The Russians do still have reserves in the area, which means that they will likely commit them to exploit the Ukrainian retreat. We'll see if they have any success in that arena. But that is all I have for you guys this week. I want to thank you all for supporting this podcast. Of course, all your support means a lot to me. You could find this podcast on your favorite apps. I include Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, we're there. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Analyze Educate. That's all one word. We are also on Telegram, same name. Please consider supporting us again on Patreon, Co-Fire, Substack. All those links can be found in the show notes below. And then also we are in the near future going to be taking a trip to Ukraine. Uh, we're going to be going on that trip with Northern Provisions and a few other guys. Don't want to give too many details right now, obviously, but uh, all the support that you guys give us will really help out a lot, uh, especially with things such as travel costs. That's really what's what's going to cost the most uh, plane tickets. So again, any support you guys could give me, I really, really appreciate that will go a long way towards uh, really just helping me finance this trip and going to be over there for a few weeks and hopefully we could bring you guys some good content going to be trying to do some interviews and then hopefully link up with some humanitarian aid organizations again don't want to give too many details right now i'm not the one leading the trip so it's really not up to me uh, what all gets shared obviously don't want to share too much but again all the support you guys give uh, really goes a long way and that would help out a lot with this trip. So thank you in advance for any support you guys send our way. And then also be sure to leave us a five-star rating on the app used to listen to this podcast. That helps us out a lot as well. And I will see you guys soon.